1: Speaker Pelosi introduces the massive $1.7 trillion dollar omnibus spending bill.
2: The American people are the ones who are going to pay the ultimate price.
1: The Texas National Guard arrives in El Paso to help with border control.
3: They have heard that if they can make it to the U.S. southern border, that they stand a very good chance of being allowed to stay in the United States.
1: The Bank of Japan shocks the markets with a bond yield shift. Japan was the last country in the world to start to move away from Syria interest rates. It's a big, big deal. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, December 21st. I'm Mike Scott. On Tuesday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who will be stepping down in January, touted a massive $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill... Which aims to fund the government through September of 2023, avoiding a partial government shutdown. Now, this Congress
0: just unveiling their 1.7 trillion—yes, another trillion-dollar spending bill, ladies and gentlemen. This is supposedly to keep the government funded through next September. Now, they have to pass the package by midnight on Friday. It's a 4,100-page. Package. You think they've read it? This in order to avoid a partial
1: government shutdown. House Republicans tried to tank the bill in the hopes of getting more leverage when they take control of the House in January, while others simply oppose the bill, believing it will add to inflation. Still, some Republicans say they gained a few wins in the bill, such as slashing the IRS budget. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says the bill will
4: increase spending for defense. This omnibus bill, it'll be on the floor, uh, provides a real dollar increase for the defense baseline and a real dollar cut for the non-defense baseline if you exclude veterans. That is absolutely critical and breaking The pattern we've had in the past when we've ended up in one of these situations where every time Republicans tried to get an increase in defense, we would, in effect, have to pay a ransom to the Democrats on the domestic side, wholly aside from the needs of the country.
1: McConnell also says that some of the priorities in the bill include continuing
4: support for Ukraine. What are the real needs of the country right now? They're in the defense part of our expenditures, making sure the Defense Department can deal with the major threats coming from Russia and China, providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. That's the number one priority for the United States right now, according to most Republicans. That's sort of how we see the Challenges confronting uh, the country at the moment. So, admittedly, I'm pretty proud of the fact that with a Democratic president, a Democratic House, and a Democratic Senate, we were able to achieve through this omnibus spending bill essentially all of our priorities. House
1: Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy opposes the bill and threatened that should he become House Speaker, he will not support any legislation from Senate Republicans who support it. Katie Pavlich, editor at townhall.com, joined Fox News and says that the bill is an abomination
2: this one point seven trillion dollars spending plan which as you rightly point out people are not going to be able to read its four thousand pages is an abomination uh, it, it you know the there once again washington dc and the politicians who are inside of it want to go home they have their now up against this deadline of christmas while also being held hostage because they want to fund the government and yet the american people are the ones who are going to pay the ultimate price
1: Pavlich explains that in her opinion The bill undermines the Republican agenda for the next year when they take control of the House.
2: There are now a number of Republicans in the House who have written a letter to Republicans in the Senate saying we're going to start holding uh, senators accountable for doing this to the American people, to the voters that sent them to Washington in the first place, and pointing out that, look, they weren't elected to continue inflationary spending, which is exactly what this is. They weren't elected to continue uh, the spending which leads to the Federal Reserve having to raise interest rates to try and tamp down this inflationary spending, which is being caused by the federal government. Uh, and so, you know, the spending con- continues. They never learn their lesson. And also, for Republicans strategically and politically, uh, this budget or this omnibus plan would also kneecap them when it comes to their new Congress, which starts yeah. on January 3rd and gives them very little movement when it comes to enacting their agenda, which they were just elected to implement. Well, it-
1: the townhall.com editor states that there is a divide between Republican lawmakers over fiscal conservatism.
2: Regardless of, of different perspectives on who is good for leadership and what should be done in the new Congress and who should lead the House as Speaker, the bottom line is that conservatives and Republicans for years have run on this idea that they are fiscally conservative. And the split within yeah. the party right now comes down to whether that is even true Anymore. There are a number of Republicans or, or who are a handful, I should say, who want to stop this bill. 41 Republicans in the Senate could stop it, uh, and yet you're only seeing about five senators coming out and saying that they will vote against it up against this hard deadline, which again changes nothing in Washington and makes inflation worse for all the Americans out there who are getting ready to spend Christmas with their family.
1: The omnibus bill features about $773 billion in domestic spending and about 858 billion dollars for defense. A 6.4 magnitude earthquake shook northern California, cutting off power to 70,000 people or more, killing two and injuring dozens of others. The quake happened at about 2:30 near Ferndale, a small coastal community about 210 miles northwest of San Francisco. The epicenter was just offshore at a depth of about 10 miles. Officials say they are lucky the damage was relatively contained due to the region being lightly populated. U.S. Geological Survey geophysicist John Bellini talks about the quake that hit Ferndale and its more than 20 aftershocks.
5: Aftershocks will go on for... uh probably several weeks, although the frequency of them and the size, the size of them will decrease over time. So most people who experience aftershocks will experience them in the next couple of days.
1: Bellini says a 6.4 magnitude earthquake is pretty strong. So it's fortunate there were not more injuries.
5: If this were to have occurred in, say, San Francisco or LA, we would definitely expect to see a lot more damage to structure and injuries to people. But because this is a A lower population region uh, that would be much less.
1: Bellini also explains that the quake is not all that unusual for northern California.
5: We do see earthquakes that are large enough to be felt um, in this area several times a year. Maybe not as large as this one that caused damage every year but they do occur from time to time. So this is this is a a regular occurrence in this region. It's not surprising to see something of this size in this area.
1: On Tuesday, the Texas National Guard was called to the southern border town of El Paso as the city prepares for a migrant surge in the face of the elimination of Title 42. But El Paso isn't the only area along the southern border being stretched beyond the limits of manpower and is at a breaking point. Miguel Alvarez is a police lieutenant in the border town of San Luis, Arizona, and says their community has a lack of resources.
6: If we already are at the breaking point. when well, We have deaths occurring around the border, around our community that we have to respond to, as well as having sent all the officers on shift, basically, to attend to groups of up to 60 immigrants legally crossing into people's backyards and homes. It, it, it's already there at the tipping point. We've been addressing this issue for almost two years now.
1: Alvarez says that while Border Patrol agents try to help them, they're often called to assist citizens with illegal immigrants trespassing on their property.
6: The Border Patrol, is uh, we're so close to the border where they're also helping us out. Our main concern is when those people cross into people's residence and they start trespassing, going into homes and burying themselves inside of those persons' homes, uh, we have to deal with that. Our main priority is keeping our citizens safe.
1: The police lieutenant says that his department is at the tipping point with having to deal with the crimes that occur from those who illegally cross the southern border.
6: We're having to use our own resources within our agency and help our federal partners, both in the Port of Entry, Customs, Customs and, and Border Security, as well as uh, Border Patrol with any issues that they might have. Uh, most recently, uh, Customs at the Border, they were prepping for uh, the end of type 42, and then they we're putting on their riot here. So, what would happen when those people just cross across that port of entry? They're going to come into our city, and now it's going to be our police department's job to try to handle with them the local state crimes that may occur, which will be vandalism, uh, maybe assaults, or more trespassing into other local businesses or or homes of our local okay. residents.
1: Jessica Vaughn has had a policy and study. For the Center of Immigration Studies and joined the Salem Podcast Network and explains, in her view, what's going on at the border.
3: Um, what we have going on now at our southern border is uh, really a mass migration event um, that is happening, um, you know, with uh, thousands, as many as 7,000 uh, people crossing the border illegally every single day. Um, ten years ago, it would be considered a crisis if a thousand people were apprehended by the border patrol crossing illegally but we 're way beyond that now um, and we have people from literally every nation around the planet uh who are being apprehended according to the border patrol, pretty much every country and it, you know that in the world um people are coming from there because they have heard either from smugglers or in the news media or from friends and family that if they can make it to the U.S. southern border, that uh, they stand a very good chance of being allowed to stay in the United States, especially if they come with a child, if they're a family, or if they say they fear return to their home country. Um, That's why they're coming because of our policies
1: Vaughn says that she has spoken with many illegal immigrants and they have told her why they are coming to the U.S.
3: What they say is that they're coming because they're pretty sure that they're going to succeed in getting into the United States, that they're seeking a better life. They want work. They want to support their family. They're not necessarily coming because they're being persecuted or because there's some kind of uh, humanitarian crisis in their home country. This is... Uh, illegal migration of opportunism the opportunity to to get into the united states they're not going to spend thousands of dollars from their life savings or put themselves into debt bondage with the smuggler unless they think there's a good chance that they're going to be allowed to stay and that's exactly what's happening
1: vaughn explains the problem with the biden administration's policy of catch and release
3: the Biden administration is using an authority called parole to um, basically allow everyone in, tell them to show up at an ICE office near their destination and um, file an application for asylum. But what's really happening is only half of the people who are allowed in are actually showing up at the ICE office to register and submit an asylum application they're not even bothering with the asylum application. And half of those who file the asylum application are not showing up for their court hearings. Mm. And of those who do show up for their court hearings, less than 10% are found qualified to receive asylum here and stay permanently. The rest just skip out uh, and they're living here as illegal residents all over the country uh, and under the Biden administration, ICE officers are not allowed to try to locate them or um, hold them, you know, accountable for skipping out on the generous due process that we've offered them. They're simply allowed to live here um, uh, without any fear of enforcement.
1: Vaughn says that securing the border is a national security issue.
3: The criminal smugglers send those that do not want to actually come in contact with Mm. our officials in another place they're pouring in through these unguarded parts of the border that's where the criminals the people who've been deported before the people bringing drugs that's how they're all getting in through this gotaway population and that last year was estimated to be about 500,000 people that's a lot of people So, um, you know, this is definitely, this is why our unguarded border is such a national security and public safety threat to our country. In fact, uh, last year they found um, 98 people who were on the terrorist list of known and suspected terrorists. Those are people we actually knew about who were caught crossing the border illegally. Um, If we caught almost 100 Terrorists. Imagine how many got through in the gotaway population.
1: The White House has asked the Supreme Court to deny Republicans their bid to keep Title 42 in place. However, they are requesting that it keep the stay in place until a week after the original expiration date on Tuesday, December 27, in order to ensure an orderly transition. There's a battle of words brewing between one of the world's leading capitalists and one of Washington, D.C.'s most leftist lawmakers. Daybreak Insider's Bob Agnew has more on this verbal battle. Twitter CEO Elon Musk tweeted the U.S. has been, in his words, definitely harmed by having Elizabeth Warren in the Senate. It comes after Warren again raising questions about Musk's takeover of Twitter and whether financing it had a detrimental impact on Tesla. In a letter, Warren questions whether Tesla's board is failing in its duty to protect shareholders against possible conflict of interest and misappropriation of corporate assets. Biden reporting. The Bank of Japan sent shockwaves through the currency, bond, and equity markets on Tuesday due to their unexpected change of a core tenet of Japan's monetary policy. The Bank of Japan really shocked markets overnight in a surprise shift in its policy. The central bank widened its cap on 10-year Japanese government bond yields, or JGBs, allowing it to move 50 basis points in either direction of its 0% target. Now, this is up from 25 basis points previously. And this is something that the BOJ has been holding onto for a long time. I think people were not just surprised that it happened, but also the timing. We know that BOJ's head is going to be stepping down in the spring. A lot of people wondering Why rush this now? Why not wait until the new year? And why zig and sort of, you know, become more hawkish as one of the more dovish central banks when everyone else is trying to decelerate at least a little bit, not pivot, but at least ease off the gas a little bit on the hawkishness. So a really surprising move here. The yen jumped more than 4% against the U.S. dollar in New York trading, while Japan's Topics Equity Index fell 1.5%. The 10-year Japanese government bond yield surged by its most in almost two decades, reaching a high of 0.47%. The central bank said it would allow 10-year bond yields to fluctuate by plus or minus 0.5 percentage points at its target of zero instead of the previous band of plus or minus 0.25 percentage points. Jens Nordvig is head of research at Nomura in Bridgewater and joined CNBC and says the move is a historic one. So we've had uh, essentially zero interest rates around the
7: world, right, Mm -hmm. since 2009. We've been coming out of it. Japan was the last country in the world, last significant country to start to move away from zero interest rates. It's a big, big deal. Japan is a big investor in all kinds of markets, especially fixed income markets around the world. And We can see when there's a shift in Japan, we've essentially had all yields globally shift up today from Europe to the United right. States. So it's a big deal. Uh, and it's not just today, right? This is a signal that they're going in a certain direction. There's going to be almost guaranteed more steps in 2023 from the Bank of
1: Japan. Nordvig says that while it may signal that Japan is preparing for stagflation in the coming year, it may not be all bad news for global markets.
7: I think Japan's case, right, um, they have been looking at the evidence, more and more inflation, but they've made so many mistakes over the last two, three decades about raising interest rates too early that they just didn't want to make the same mistake again, right? And they are very late to the party. So if they move interest rates from slightly negative to plus one, is that going to kill the economy? One thing I thought was very interesting in the equity market in Japan today was that banks loved it. Mm. Banks loved it, right? Well, they so, loved them in Europe yep, too, right? Yeah. you yeah. think about every But, century, it, but every... it's like, it's, it's not a typical, like, oh, it's just going to be a catastrophic recession, actually. There's some parts of the stock market that actually like this type of normalization. So I don't think it's, like, uniformly bad. Uh, if they overdo it, it will be bad. But if they do the correct amount, it might not necessarily be
1: bad. Certainly not for Japanese stocks. I don't think so. Want to email your doctor? You may be charged for that. Daybreak Insider's Ron DeRockstra joins us with more on this developing story.
0: The next time you message your doctor to ask about a pesky cough or an itchy rash, you may want to check your bank account first. You could get a bill for the question. Hospital systems around the country are rolling out fees for some messages that patients send to physicians who they say are spending an increasing amount of time poring over online queries, some so complex they require the level of medical expertise normally dispensed during an office visit. Major hospital systems in Illinois, Ohio, and California are among those who have rolled out the charges over the last year. Rhonda Rockster reporting. And finally,
1: but baby, it's cold
4: outside. I've got to go baby cold outside.
1: If you're living in the Midwest, prepare to bundle up. A winter storm which has been called a bomb cyclone has dumped several inches of snow and brought brutal freezing temperatures and strong winds across Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. That same weather system is now gearing up to hit Denver to Minneapolis by Wednesday, then slam Kansas City, St. Louis, and then Chicago on Thursday. All before many expect to hit the road or the skies to visit family for Christmas. Several meteorologists predict that snow totals could top one foot in parts of the Midwest.
2: Winter Storm Elliott blasted parts of the Pacific Northwest with snow and cold Tuesday. Up to 15 inches of snow was reported in northern Washington's Whatcom County, where piles drifted against front doors in places like the town of Linden. In the same area, cars were stuck on slippery roads, and residents teamed up to help each other out. Snow drifted several feet high, thanks to winds that ripped across highways. Much of Seattle looked like a winter wonderland, including the Capitol Hill neighborhood the iconic Space Needle, and Pike Place Market. The storm will continue its trek across the U.S. in the coming days, bringing snow and bitter cold for the holiday weekend.
1: If you're living on the East Coast, you should expect heavy rain and damaging winds with some gusts potentially reaching 60 miles an hour. National Weather Service lead forecaster Bob Orvik explains what to expect.
5: Heavy snow is likely beginning on Thursday into Friday from Illinois northward into Wisconsin. And then uh, very heavy snows are out across the Great Lakes. And as we get on towards the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, very active lake effect snows downwind of all the Great Lakes. So it's going to be very snowy anywhere from the Midwest to the Great Lakes over the next several days.
1: Orovec says much of the nation is in for an Arctic blast that will bring below normal temperatures along with snow to several areas.
5: In Denver on Wednesday, the temperatures are going to be 45 to 50. And then on Thursday, the temperatures are going to be below zero for high temperatures. So there's some dramatic temperature changes behind this front. And that front's going to be affecting a good part of the country as we go on through the week and into weekend.
1: Orovic says the storm will have a big impact throughout much of the country.
5: Over a foot of snow potential, especially across parts of the Great Lakes, uh, the upper Mississippi Valley, parts of the Midwest. So it's definitely a Highly impactful heavy snow event across those areas, along with the you know all the wind chills and the high winds.
1: Orevic says, with the storm coming in around the holidays, the timing could not be worse for travel.
5: The travel impacts from the storm are going to be tremendous. The the wind is going to be very strong across large parts of the country as we get into Thursday into Friday. So, with respect to the uh, aviation travel and everyone's going home for the holidays. It's probably going to be very impactful.
1: Orovic says, get ready for some freezing cold temperatures and their possible travel impact.
5: A big Arctic outbreak is in store for a good part of the country over the next several days. It will be spreading southeastward through the plains on Wednesday and Thursday, and then into the east coast by Friday.
1: If you're traveling for the holidays, make sure to drive safely, bundle up, and keep that hot cocoa handy.